Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. Welcome to Space 3D and the continuation of our wide-ranging interview with space historian and policy analyst, Dwayne Day. Day is a senior program officer for the Aeronautics and Space Engineering Board of the National Research Council, where he has served as a study director on studies concerning NASA's aeronautics flight research capabilities, the Planetary Exploration Program, the size of the astronaut corps, the threat of asteroids striking Earth, NASA workforce skills, radiation hazards to astronauts on long-duration space flights, U.S. Air Force astrodynamic standards, and other projects. He previously served as a program officer on the Space Studies Board and served as an investigator for the Columbia Accident Investigation Board. He has also written extensively on the history of American satellite reconnaissance. In this episode, Dwayne dashes our childhood fantasies about Bigfoot, the Bermuda Triangle, and UFOs, but then we get to the story we've all been waiting for, the origin story of Boris the Space Chimp. We then conclude with Dwayne's thoughts on some of his priorities for the future, including finishing a plethora of manuscripts and delving into some alt-history speculation in the spirit of our favorite Apple TV show, For All Mankind. Uh, you brought up Star Trek. Did you want to talk about? <laughs> no, I was. I was really about that. Are you just playing? <laughs> you wanted to talk about Bigfoot in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> oh, definitely. No, well, just just to be clear, when I was a kid, I was a, I was really, I really loved the Bermuda Triangle Me, story. I did too, though. I thought that was some real. Like, I was like, why aren't we doing anything about this? This is a problem. Like, why is it? I Reagan- was Bigfoot, I never, I, I always thought that was a joke. I could not understand how you could, you know, even if there was a Bigfoot, it's like, well, wouldn't he die after a while? I mean, you would have to have a whole lot of big feet. Do you, is that the plural? Uh, yeah. So I never, I, that was never one that interested me. When I, when I was a kid, uh, like all kids, uh, uh, you go through a phase where you start reading about paranormal stuff and you read stories about ghosts and UFOs and Bigfoot and, uh, and the Bermuda Triangle. And I read all that stuff and I never believed any of it. Um, but I, the Bermuda Triangle one, I, I just found really interesting, uh, until eventually I read, uh, an article that just tore the whole thing apart and, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> it turns, it turns out that, yeah, you think that there's all these shipwrecks off in, in this area of the, the ocean uh, until you take that kind of same uh, area of ocean and you apply it to any other area of the ocean around the world. And there's no more shipwrecks there than there are any other place. So it's yeah. it's all baloney. Yeah, yeah exactly. Actually, you know, I, I mentioning UFOs and some of this stuff that's becoming declassified from the Navy. What do, what do you make of these UFO reports that, you know, are coming out in the news? I'm not sure what to make of them. I mean, there, there's some type of aerial phenomenon that seems to be documented, but are these, I don't know what, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about that? 
you know, to be honest, I don't read a lot of that stuff um, because I I have I have these filters, and um, frankly, a, a lot of that stuff doesn't pass the smell test for me. That I think um, some of it's hoaxes, some of it's uh, exaggeration, some of it is just people making up stories completely. There may be something to it in that it could be, what we could be seeing is foreign drones, foreign aircraft being used to spy on the U.S. Uh, there could be something to that because back when the United States first started flying the U-2 reconnaissance aircraft in the 1950s, that was often reported as a UFO because mm. it was flying at such a high altitude that people would look up and they'd see this this glint way up in the sky and uh and that got reported as a an unidentified flying object where the CIA knew exactly what it was. Um, right. So it it would not surprise me if some of some of what's happening now falls into those kinds of explanations, but I really don't read a lot of it because uh, I just don't need more nonsense in my life. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> I understand. I mean, we're swimming uh, in nonsense, right? We right. So yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Oh, you're probably gonna hate the fact that I'm bringing this up, but um, I wanted to bring up a uh, Boris the Chimp. <laughs> uh, how did that come to be? Tell us the story about Boris the Chimp. How did that come to be? And um, what happened because of it? We're, we're, I'm sorry. This is like one of my favorite stories of all no, time. No, no, no. I'm, I'm perfectly willing to talk about that. So, okay. Okay. I, I am sure that you're, you are all familiar with the fact that there is a certain kind of um, cult around the original astronauts, around the, the Apollo astronauts right. and, and the Mer Mercury astronauts, mostly the Apollo astronauts now. And there are people... Uh, mainly probably middle-aged men and older men who kind of worship the astronauts as sports stars, the same way that people worship sports stars. And so many, many years ago, back in the 1990s, I noticed there were these kind of endless discussions about, well, if Apollo 18 had not been canceled who would have been the crew for Apollo 18? Who would have been the crew for Apollo 19? If, you know, if Mike Collins had fallen down a flight of stairs before the Apollo 11 mission happened, how would that have shifted all of the crew assignments for all of the Apollo missions? And so I noticed that these discussions went on and on and on, and people loved to, mostly middle-aged men, uh, loved to speculate about you know, these crew rotations. And in fact, even today in, in 2021, you can still find those endless discussions somewhere on the internet. Okay. People just, they, they get caught up in them. And I realized that that wasn't really all that different from the way that people argue about baseball lineups or the way people put together fantasy football leagues. I just thought it was silly. And then I thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if people speculated the same way about the chimpanzees that flew in the, you know, the, the Ham, the space chimp? And if somebody speculated, well, what if Ham wasn't able to fly that mission? Which chimp would have flown instead? 
you know, as soon as I had that thought, I thought, well, wait a second, I could write that as a, as a funny little story. And then I realized, and then kind of the, the, the devil on my shoulder said, oh, wait, you can make this way more interesting. And I realized that, okay, this is not a novel thought, but it's really not that hard to make people believe a lie if you frame it in the proper way. And so if that's you write a, an article, very, that's a very Fox Mulder thing to say. Well, 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 what we've learned in the past few years is that actually you don't even need to be all that careful. You just tell lots and lots of lies and people will believe some of them. So, so I think I was overthinking it back then in the nineties, but what occurred to me was if I just wrote an article and presented this straightforward, well, you know, people would just say, oh, he wrote a fictional article. But if I wrote an article and I put in footnotes, then it looks like I did research. <laughs> okay. And then I thought at the time there was a lot of information being declassified about the, the Soviet space program by, by the Russians themselves. Uh, I had some friends who had written about some of this stuff. And I thought, you know, if I wrote a story about Russian space chimps, and it was about the competition between the various Russian space chimps to be the first Russian space, Soviet space chimp to fly into space. Uh, and then I put in footnotes, but then I wrote the footnotes in Russian. You know, so it just kind of it, it started rolling from there. And I, you know, and I enlisted some friends of mine, Asif Siddiqui, who is, you know, the foremost scholar on this, the Soviet uh, space program. And I, you know, called him up and I told him what I was doing. And he said, oh, I've got some ideas and all that. So I wrote this thing up and he emailed me some citations to put in there. And so I think I put in some real citations and then I'm in Russian. And then I might have put in some fake Russian citations or whatever. So I wrote this thing about Boris. And Boris is the space chimp who flies to the moon, lands on the moon, uh, but get stranded there. And the whole idea was that they were going to fly Boris to the moon to upstage Apollo 11 so that, you know, Neil Armstrong, Armstrong would land on the moon and say, you know, his famous words, but the Soviets would say, aha, we landed a chimp there. And they'd have the television footage of a chimp walking around on the moon. So I wrote that article up and I posted it to an obscure discussion group on the internet, something that it doesn't exist anymore. It's called Usenet. And I presented it as fact, you know, just straightforward. And some of the people on the internet group immediately got that it was a joke. And then some of them thought that it was real. And that was in, I don't know, 96 or 97, something like that. So then, you know, I just thought it was funny. It got referenced a few places uh, over the years. And then what I discovered many years later was that it had some legs. It actually, there were people who really believed that it was real and who treated it as real. And I, I ran into a guy, college student, who, who told me that uh, he had given a, a talk to his, I don't know, astronomy club or something a, a few months earlier about Boris the space chimp. 
Oh my God. <laughs> and he, he told me this and, and I said to him, I, I said, and I looked at him and I was a little appalled and I was rather embarrassed. And I, and I said, you realize I made that all up. And he just stared at me and then he was really embarrassed <laughs> to, to discover that, you know, he, he had fallen for it. And a few years later, uh, my buddy Asif, who had helped me write the original thing, he sent me some pages <clears throat> from a Russian space magazine where they referred to Boris the Space Chimp. And what was kind of interesting about that was here were some Russians writing in a Russian space magazine who were believing a story told by an American about their program. And... <laughs> And they weren't, they, they codified it a little bit. They said they weren't quite sure it was real, but so the story did have some legs. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe five years or so ago, I discovered that there were, there are a couple of, I'm not even sure what I would call them, uh, but there are a couple of these guys in uh, Portugal who are like visual performance artists. And they, what they do is they create these audio-visual programs, and they project them at, like, art installations. So, you know, they'll, they'll have an art installation where you can go into a warehouse, and there are things being projected on the walls in one area, and then things being projected in another area, and things being projected in another area. And then there's this music playing that goes with the, with the visuals, and the visuals are often computer generated and their laser shows and things like that. And they named their performance group Boris Chimp 504 after, <laughs> after Boris the Space Chimp. And, you know, I, I just stumbled on that a few years ago. And I was like, at first I thought they were a rock band, but, but that's not exactly what it is. And so, yeah, I, I thought that was great. And actually last year I finally, I talked to them over Zoom, and um, that was really fun. Uh, one of the guys, I think, uh, he teaches graphic arts at a university in Portugal. It started out as a joke. It started out as a very inside joke. And I'm not going to say this thing is huge in any way. You know, it's it's not, but it's it's just a story that's uh, that's continued. And I love the fact that these guys do performances uh, and you know, in Portugal, I've never been to Portugal and in their performances, uh, Boris is not only a space traveler, Boris travels through time and alternate dimensions and things like that. And, That's and, funny. Uh, you know, I, wow. I've, I've thought it would be great if somebody did a Boris graphic novel that, you know, tell the story of Boris. So, but in my story, Boris got trapped on the moon. He couldn't get the hatch of his spacecraft open. And so ultimately he dies there. So it's a, you know, it's, it's a tragedy. A a, it's a bummer. It is. It's a real bummer. <laughs> it's a bit of a tragedy. Yeah. That's yeah. Rest in peace, Boris. Yeah. I'm surprised Boris hasn't made it into the bad Bobby universe, Emily. Yeah, me too. Um, maybe he could be an addition to this first moon chimp. Who knows? Oh my gosh. Well, but he well, died. But he yeah, dies, though. <laughs> well, no, I see. I, I think in the now that we have the, you know, everything is Marvel. Uh, I'd probably rewrite the ending so that you know Boris is trapped on the moon, but just at the, just as he's about to to suffocate on the moon, he's rescued by aliens and he's turned into a super being or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. 
And then you have the the adventures, the further adventures of Boris the Moon Chimp. So exactly, it wouldn't be over. Yeah. He's yep. and he turns and he's green, like a green creature. Yeah, that I think there's a lot of potential for this. So, what would you like to do? Um, I know you and Asif wrote an article recently together that was really fascinating, and it was what you guys would like to see done um, in space history in the future. And it was in the space review. Um, could you maybe talk a little bit about that and what you'd like to see or do in the future? So, Asif and I are actually working on another article about for all mankind because we're <clears throat> we're both fans of that. So. Um, what I've found is, you know, Asif teaches uh, full time. He's a, a university professor. And so I have these little little windows when I can capture his attention. I will send him an email and he'll send me a reply and then I'll send a reply back. And then we end up with this great little back and forth um, discussion. And that's how that that last article started is we we. You know, we did that, I don't know, we traded half a dozen emails, and, and then finally I told him, I says, hey, why don't we just turn this into an article? We're trying to do the same thing with For All Mankind and use it as a jumping off board to discuss space history and counterfactual history, alternative history. A lot of the show really focuses on the United States, but the uh, initiative, the, the thing that causes everything to change is... Uh, Korolev living instead of dying and the Soviet Union landing first instead of not landing at all. And so I want to um, I, I want to hold that kind of discussion with Asif about what does he think would have happened, for instance, if Korolev had lived instead of dying um, on the operating table, essentially. Uh, so that's that's something in the near term. I always, I'm the kind of person who always has, and I'm not kidding about this, I have about 20 different articles in various draft stages at any one time, and some of which I've been working on for six years or so, and others I just started last week, and then, you know, I finish stuff up and I just push it out the door. What I have not been good at is I have a draft manuscript of a history of satellite reconnaissance, and I really need to just get off my butt and finish that thing because there there have been a number of books about satellite reconnaissance over the years but nobody has written the kind of uh definitive history of them i want to go up through the end of the cold war through about 1990 and i really need to do that but you know it's kind of surprising that a pandemic is not a really good way to um inspire you to work hard yeah um, yeah <laughs> It's, it's, I, I actually had more time and, uh, but then I would turn on the news and, um, instead of feeling energetic and ambitious, I just wanted to turn on the Simpsons and, and veg out. So, um, and I ate too much. So yeah, um, I'm hoping we can get out of this thing so I can be a little more productive. No, I, I totally understand like I have a I have a list of stuff that I want to write to and most weekends I just end up napping so I totally get it. That's <laughs> yeah, that's just, pretty much my Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty I mean I I and I hate saying that because I like to be, you know, I like having stuff to do and to be motivated, but it's just yeah, things are just nuts. You are also I think the only person we've interviewed that actually has a Wikipedia page. So you ha you have that distinction in our series of inter of interviews yeah, over yeah, the years. You know, it's that's actually not all that impressive, you know, because um, 
I did not know it existed. And then somebody told me once, and I found out that it, it had been created several years earlier. And I didn't know by who. And then I found out that it was some guy in Germany created my Wikipedia page. Wow. Which, <laughs> and I've never met the guy. So, I, I mean, I don't even know who it is. Um, it was Boris. So, <laughs> so you know, I'm, I'm guessing it's somehow related to Boris. Yeah. It, that doesn't really mean all that much to have a Wikipedia page. I, I don't get paid for that, you know. Yeah, There's yeah, no residuals. Uh, yeah. Nobody buys me drinks at bars or anything. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Space 3D. Tune in for the conclusion of our interview with Dwayne Day in our next podcast. Remember, Space 3D is available on most podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.